Remember I told you, I just kind of said it in passing, that um, I, I believe there's at least one big revival left in our country. I don't have any specific proof. God didn't whisper that in my ear. But I said, I really think it's likely going to come from younger people. Um, that's probably not a real stretch for some of us to believe that that might be true. But, but especially like Gen Z, that everybody is writing off and going, they're the most self-absorbed people in the world. They want, they want riches. They don't care about really other people. They're so self-indulged, blah, 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 blah. Um, got some news today. Auburn University, if you lived in the south where we live, you would know Auburn very well. Um, Auburn, Alabama, one of the great rivalries, kind of Ohio State, Michigan, or Ohio State, and that team up north, as Ohio Stadiums refer to it. Um, but God's been moving on Auburn's campus. Um, a lot among the athletes there, which is, is pretty thrilling but also in the fraternities and the sororities. And um, last night, some of this just boiled over. And um, I got this report. Uh, there was a person last night was speaking, and there were several thousand people there uh, hearing this Christian message, which was so great. It's not a, it's not a Christian school. The person says, last night at the end of my message at Auburn, I walked off stage and a student texted the pastor beside me that they wanted to be baptized tonight. So I went back on stage, interrupted the worship, and asked if anyone else wanted to trust Christ and be baptized. Dozens raised their hands. So thousands of students left the arena and walked to a lake and a red barn a mile away. Thousands came, circled the lake, and six to ten of us were in the water baptizing hundreds of college students. People surrounded the lake till almost midnight, hearing the stories of life change, shouting and cheering and praying together. God is moving and it isn't stopping. So glory to God. Glory to God. That's not unlike what we saw in the book of Acts, is it? When we started looking at Barnabas 48 hours ago, doesn't it seem like longer than that? Wow, especially with the other teaching on Elijah dropped in there in the middle of it as we went along. Um, but especially as, as this series on Barnabas is beginning to come together, this third lesson, um, I, we are told in, in the places that this has been taught before, and I think it's probably in about maybe 18 languages by now. Um, we launched it in India in January. Um, we had our 25 full-time trainers from the region were there. Um, within three months of that, it was in 12 different languages. And off they went, training groups of pastors and, and other Christian leaders. And now, now literally thousands of people each week are getting to hear this course, but poured through local teachers whose illustrations fit the context better than uh, I could ever do there, for sure. Well, what we're hearing is that this third session is the one that seems to be producing the greatest amount of life change in people. Um, don't go home after tonight if you don't have to, because I think the fourth lesson is really significant too but it builds the first one is really kind of an introduction the second one starts to hang some meat on the bones Barnabas recognized a need and he met it now tonight he's going to recognize something else and it's something that we as individuals and also as a group and we as the church especially in America needs to get a handle on so off we go session three Let's look at Acts chapter 8. It starts out, and Saul approved of their killing him. Well, who's him? The pronoun, you always look to the nearest antecedent, but this is a new chapter. You remember the verse numbers were not there in the original text. There were no chapter numbers. It was kind of one story. But if you look back in Acts chapter 7, who has just been put to death? Stephen. Stephen. Why? because he boldly proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ and the listeners didn't like it. And so he was 
actually stoned to death. And, and just the, the beautiful picture of him not only not resisting, but just like, like heavens opened and, and received him. It's just a beautiful story. Well, what starts as a specific targeted persecution now begins to spread more throughout the empire. And we read here, Saul, we know him better as Paul, but this is his name before his conversion. Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Remember Acts 1.8, you shall be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem? That's where we live. No problem there. We're comfortable here. Judea, the surrounding province, <coughs> Samaria. That's, that's, that's different. They were the half-Jews. When Assyria scattered the northern kingdom after they conquered them, they repopulated that with other conquered peoples. And now, even though some time had gone by, um, they're, they're just, they hadn't assimilated. They were hated. They, they, were, they were called half-breeds a lot of times. They were worse than dogs. That's how deep the prejudice ran. But look, God uses the persecution to spread people out. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Wow. Is this the end? No, because we get a big surprise in chapter 9. Acts 9 records the story about the dramatic conversion of Saul. Just picking a few verses out of a fairly long narrative. Why don't you read this with me? Because this is, this is powerful stuff right here. Here we go. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. I want to hear you say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In your best voice. Oh, Complete with reverb, if possible. Let's go. Go for it. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Okay. You, you should hear my voice when they voice over the videos into Russian. That's the voice I have. It's the voice I've always wanted. I'm like, it's just, and I had that voice, my children would have never disobeyed. I'm convinced. We know that's God's voice because we recognize it from the Ten Commandments and all the other biblical movies. Imagine if you're Saul and you're asked that question. I think probably his first thought would have been, Lord... I'm not persecuting you, I'm defending you. I'm finding the followers of this pseudo-Messiah Jesus, this false teacher, this heretic, and I'm bringing them to justice. I'm on your side. But Saul's pretty quick. And so he, <laughs> wow, this is not the response I wanted from God. What do you mean persecuting you? He says, who are you, Lord? And look how the voice from heaven answered. He says, what's he say right there? Go for it. We got a good thing going here. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up, go to the city, and you will be told what you must wow. do. I don't think he expected that answer. In fact, I know he didn't. This must have just shaken up his categories. Saul is one of those folks who, contrary to the teaching of our culture, that says all that really matters is that you're sincere. I mean, my truth is as valid as your truth. There is, after all, no absolute truth anymore, is there? So what I believe as valid as what you believe. And you know what the litmus test is? It's not, is it right or wrong? It's, are you really sincere? 
well, I don't believe what you believe, but I believe you believe it, and that's good enough for me. This is a great example here that our culture needs, that it's very possible to be sincere, but be sincerely wrong. Absolutely. Well, what happens next? When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. Jesus' followers did not believe Saul's conversion was genuine. Now again, I've got a bit of an imagination. I, I pray it's a sanctified imagination and I don't go down crazy rabbit trails. But, but I like to picture if this happened today. We would be skeptical too, wouldn't we? Imagine he comes and, and he's like, hey, pastor, it's nice to meet you. I'm, I'm, I'm Saul. I'm Saul. And, you know, they're like, yeah, yeah, okay. Why is he here? How long till people start vanishing? And I don't think this happened. But imagine a few weeks into this, he's like, Pastor, I'll tell you what. He goes, your people have really, some of them have been really friendly to me. I, I want to get involved here. I want to get in a small group. He goes, he goes um, you know, you, you, I got the digital directory. But all it has is email addresses. Do you, do you have like a physical directory that actually has the home addresses of the people in your church family, Pastor? Now, of course, that didn't go down that way. But that's kind of the modern retelling of that story. And this pastor would be like, no, we're not going to do that. He's thinking, are you out of your mind? I didn't fall up the turnip truck yesterday. No, we're not going to do that. Look what happens next. But Barnabas, circle that in your notes. Whenever you see the word but in Scripture, it indicates contrast. It's somebody going against the tide. Sometimes that's a bad thing. Okay, God has clearly said this, but the people rebelled. Here it's a great thing. The, the consensus of the people is Saul is not to be trusted, not one little bit. We don't want him hanging around here, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, the early church leaders. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about the Lord but Barnabas. And like I said the first night, many of us, maybe we've heard his name, but we don't know his story because he's always slipping into the background, isn't he? he he's, he's not the goal scorer. Here he is, makes the perfect pass, the right pass to the right person in the right spot at the right moment. That's our guy, Barnabas. He's the assist leader in the premier league of the book of Acts. Well, what happens next? He talked and debated, this is Saul now, with the Hellenistic, that's the Greek-speaking the Greek Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they sent him down to Caesarea and off to Tarsus. Barnabas convinced the believers that Saul was trustworthy. You sometimes, if you've hired people, you get their resume and there's either references listed or, you know, or it says reference available on request. Um, I would encourage you in that process, everybody's got three people who will say great things about them. It's, it's oftentimes the second or third level of references where you get a more true picture. But Barnabas essentially says, I'll vouch for you, Saul. He puts his name and reputation on the line. And so Saul is now welcomed into the church. Bottom line of this session is this. Barnabas recognized faith and nurtured it. Go ahead and write it down. Then I want to hear you say it. Barnabas recognized faith and nurtured it. Say it again. Barnabas And think how even the Bible is different as a result of that. We'll, we'll talk about that at our, at our conclusion tomorrow night greatest church planter 
greatest theologian, greatest evangelist, I believe, that ever lived, the Apostle Paul. And he easily could have been locked out of all of that except for but Barnabas. Really interesting thing to me is oftentimes God will use us in a close relationship, usually, usually somebody right near home, and, and then from that, then will come the expanded opportunities. My mentor, Dr. Howard Hendricks, used to say, you determine the depth of your ministry and you let God determine its breadth. That's a wise word right there. What he did with Saul individually, he's now going to do with a whole group of people. Look at the next scripture. Those who, had, let's read it together. I like when you read. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Hold it there. Why did they do that? Because their background was Jewish, right? That's their comfort zone. That's how we came to faith, that we came to believe Jesus was the Messiah. But we wouldn't have even been looking for a Messiah had it not been for our Jewish upbringing. It's perfectly logical. Some of them, keep going, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. Go ahead. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You see what's happening here? At first they went and they only went to Jews. A few people didn't have that boundary in their minds, and so they began also sharing with Gentiles. Now this is a, this is a long shot, but is there anybody here at Gull Lake this week who's from a non-Jewish background. Is, is there anybody that you were not raised Jewish, you were, you were raised Gentile, we would hear. Anybody raise your hand. Look around the room. Strong majority. Aren't we glad that they took this step? This is part of us being grafted into the story. You know that one of the reasons why a lot of people, Christians today, have no use for the Old Testament? Because they think it's just about the Jews. It's a great collection of books, and if I were Jewish, I would care, but I'm not, so I don't. That's our spiritual roots, too. I don't get excited about Ellen's high school yearbook, because we didn't meet till junior year in college. We, we live states apart. I'm in normal Illinois. She's in Charlotte, North Carolina. Her, her high school yearbook, how many were in your graduating class? How many? 13. 1,300? No, 13. It, it, it was a Christian school that was kind of just getting started. Her brother was there. Her mom was the librarian, taught some Bible. I mean, this this yearbook is like their family photo album and you, you you know you can look in the in the directory and in the index in the back and there's like three lines of pages with my wife she's the head cheerleader she played basketball she's student body president it's like yeah 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 i that her name was balmer i skimmed down to the t's i'm not in there once there's all these other guys that she dated. They're in there. I've heard about them. That used to be my approach to the Old Testament. I don't see my name in there. Uh, that's just not true at all. It's our spiritual roots too. And the point at which we get grafted in is in a lot of ways right here in the book of Acts when some of the people, they actually kind of broke the unwritten rule. They didn't just share with those from the Jewish background. They said, this is something everybody needs to hear about. I love this. Well, here we go. Let's pause here. We'll watch what God's going to do. But, but we need to just kind of have a heart-to-heart -heart talk here, right? 
What individuals or groups are you skeptical about when you hear reports of God at work in their lives? In other words, who do you doubt could ever become a follower of Jesus? Probably shouldn't answer this one out loud. It's okay to just kind of meditate on that one. Some of you, and I'm not throwing rocks at you for this, some of you just heard that story I read about Auburn, and some of you thought, that sounds pretty emotional to me. I bet a lot of people just got caught up in the enthusiasm, we'll see if those commitments stick or not. Hey, I understand that. I, I'm, I'm a skeptical person by nature, too. And I wasn't going to share that because of that. And then I went, except that's exactly what we're talking about in the lesson. So yes, I'm going to share that tonight. All that began to change for me in our first church. I want to tell you a story about a man named, let's, let's call him Donnie. Because that was his name. Um, and... I actually share this story with his permission. Um, before we had even moved into our house, unpacking the rider truck, we met his wife. Um, she didn't come to our church. He sure didn't go to our church or any other church. And things were not good in their relationship. I'd been there a while and, and um, visited Donnie a couple of times. There were folks in our church that said, man, you just be careful when you do that. I mean, he, he's got a temper. He was a farmer, but he was also a welder. He had arms about like my thighs, and it was not fat. This guy just was, he, he probably weighed 420, something like that, and muscle is heavy. When Donnie would get nervous, he would use the word whatever. So he'd say, well, pastor, I'm glad you came by our house or whatever, but uh, I really don't have much use for what you're selling today or whatever, but uh, you can just kind of move on out the door or whatever, and I'm sure I'll see you around town or whatever. <laughs> That's how he talked. Got nowhere sharing with him. Near our town was Rantoul, where at the time there was an Air Force base there. It was probably 40 minutes away from our town, maybe something like that. And there was a lady there named Miss Dorothy who loved servicemen and women. She had rheumatoid arthritis, I mean, the amount of pain that she dealt with. And she, was, she just had nothing to lose. And so she just shared with anybody that, that came through the door of this Christian Serviceman Center. We heard that Donnie had started going down there on Friday nights. Now, nobody really believed this, but I, I heard that from two or three pretty reputable sources. And, and then, this is now months later, the rumor was going around in our church body, especially the, the elders, that, uh, that Donnie had actually trusted Christ as his Savior. Nobody, including me, believed this. I'm sorry to admit that. Because that, I mean, God can do a lot of things, but this guy was so closed. One night, we're having Wednesday night prayer meeting, and Wednesday night prayer meeting was kind of like me and a few close friends. And so we'd be there, and we're around these square four tables into a square and I was, happened to be doing a series on the attributes of God. We were doing the omnis. This night it was about God's omniscience, that God knows everything right. And about halfway through the Bible lesson, we hear the door open. And it's, I'm, I'm going to be in this church Sunday. I'm <laughs> eager to know if everybody, anybody has ever put WD-40 on this door in the last 30 years. Because it was great when I would be there by studying by myself. I always knew when I had company, it was better than a doorbell. Church, to my knowledge, has never been locked since it was built. We hear this door squeak, and I kind of, I'm sort of facing the door, and I kind of look up and just to see, and I don't want to embarrass whoever it is. And I kind of look up, and I, it's Donnie. He's still got on his overalls. His sleeves are rolled up. His hands are 
pretty greasy from a good, honest, hard day's work. And Donnie comes and he sits down and he sits almost directly across from me. And you can just, you can just feel it's a mix between giddiness and fear and just plain shock. Because imagine, it, this, you don't get this if you're in a big city. But in a town of 850, everybody knew everybody, or at least they thought they knew everybody. And so after the lesson is over, then we collected some prayer requests, and then we were just going to pray. I don't think that group ever prayed in a circle. I didn't say, let's just go clockwise tonight, shall we? We just, people prayed randomly, and then after a while, I'd close, or I'd ask somebody else if they would close. I don't know why this happened, but that night, the person next to me prays first, then the person next to him, then the person next to her, like that, and it's just going very orderly, and I'm going, okay, there's only three more people until Donnie. And everybody's heads are down, and I'm, I'm looking around, and over here are a couple of the elders, and I'm kind of looking at them, and I'm waiting for them to just glance up so I can go, you, you know, and no, nobody looked up. They're all, they're too devout for that. And um, now it's down, and finally it's the woman right next to Donnie, and she prays, and then there's just this long, very awkward pause. And I thought, Maybe I better just close now, but I thought, no, somebody will figure this out. The person on the other side of Donnie will jump in. He didn't. And so Donnie, after, I'm sure it's probably like eight seconds or something, right? But it seemed like two minutes. Donnie goes, well, God or um, whatever, this is, uh, this is Donnie. I guess I don't need to use my last name because we learned tonight you're omniscient. And um, you, you, you not only know my first name, you know my last name, you probably know my middle name. Nobody else here around this table knows that. God, I just, I just thank you um, for what you've done in my life. It's great to meet my new brothers and sisters here tonight. Clear testimony. Clear testimony. He says, I don't have the right words to praise you like my older brothers and sisters. They've known you longer than I have or whatever. But he goes, I want to I, I wanna praise you too. So God, I just want to say, and he paused a minute, and he goes, God, I think you're just like loaded dice because you, you can't be beat, God. He goes, well, this is Donnie signing off. I'll catch you on the flip side. That's real close to word for word. It etched in my memory. Now I'm looking around, and I'm not the only one peeking at this point. <laughs> Shoulders are bouncing up and down. Tears are being wiped away. Are you telling me that wasn't the favorite prayer that God heard? God probably went, wow, loaded dice. <laughs> I am, actually. It was so fresh. It was so real. Donnie became a spiritual weed. His rate of growth was like nothing else I've ever seen before. The change. He had an insatiable desire to learn. He got, um, started getting cassette tapes from a guy named Raul Reese. I probably wouldn't agree with Raul on everything, but he was teaching a lot more truth I couldn't teach enough for Donnie to consume. Donnie had this big old welding truck. He would pull up on the driveway. He was a morning person, like 6 a.m. Ellen, Ellen called it D3, the daily Donnie dose. And there'd be a... And I'd go, I got this. And uh, I'd go to the door and Donnie go, hey, I got another cassette I listened to yesterday. Here, pastor, listen to this one. I, I couldn't keep up. One day he comes over, he goes, I know you said I shouldn't just listen to one teacher. I found another guy. He's really good. You ought to listen to him. You're preaching on Philippians, so's he, and he's doing better than you are, Pastor. <laughs> he says, trouble is his name. He's got a terrible name. His name's Swindle. He goes, how can you take an offering when your name's Swindle? 
And I, I, go, I go, oh, is that, is that Chuck Swindoll? And he goes, no, it's Chuck Swindle. I go, okay, whatever. I go, yeah, you can trust him. Just order more of his stuff. We had an elder meeting not long after that, and the, just the, the joy of this just overflowed. That's the only way I can say it. I already told you this isn't an overly emotional group of people, right? By, by cultural background, by their religious background, we were having church at an elders meeting. And several of them said, I would have bet the farm that I would never see this happen. Okay, some of that's good, but some of that I found troubling. Because I think it's pretty dangerous to tell God what he can't do. I'm not recommending this. If you're watching the podcast later, I'm not recommending this. I've never done this again since then. But with the elders, I said, is there anybody else in this town or the county that you don't think God could ever reach? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I go, well, let, let's do something. Let's come up with the 10 least likely men and women to ever come to faith. And I go, you got one on the list. You got Donnie. I go, give me some other names. And, I mean, they instantly named off about 12 or 13 names. I go, nope, it's got to be 10. You got to cut thir- three of those. And they're arguing back and forth. You know, who's the mirror, mirror on the wall? Who's the greatest pagan of them all? And he... he <laughs> Eventually, they settle on the 10 least likely. And I said, I didn't know what God was going to do. This is maybe as close as I've ever come to being like Elijah on Mount Carmel, right? And I go, let's turn the 10 least likely into the 10 most wanted list. Let's start praying for them. You could share this with your wives, but this would be inappropriate to share with the whole church, right? Let's just, let's just keep this amongst ourselves. When we moved away from there, four of those men and women, counting Donnie, were brothers and sisters in Christ. Now the count is up to six, and I heard recently, in fact, I'll probably find this out, I heard that the seventh one has trusted Jesus as Savior. I, I'm through telling God who he can't reach. I'm through. So when we answer this question, you know, maybe that's that, that's that knucklehead brother-in-law of yours. Maybe it's that prodigal child of yours. Maybe it's that former boss that made your life so difficult and treated you unfairly. And you may have even said, mm, if I get to heaven and he's there, that's not going to be much of a heaven. You don't really mean that because if he gets there, he'll have been changed in a big way. But there's individuals. There's also groups. This was not supposed to be in your notes, and it wasn't even going to be in the PowerPoint, but we had a little miscommunication. This is a list I made just to get people started. I was going to throw a few of these out. Um, I think that accident turned out to be a good thing. You look at this list, many people are skeptical about young children's conversion. When we used to go away to camp, um, we did camp with several other churches over in Indiana, um, near, near Goshen, Indiana, Camp Mac it was called. We saw God do amazing things invariably they'd come back they'd share testimonies this was usually right before school started and and the naysayers would say you know pastor mountaintop experiences are great but life isn't lived in the mountains it's lived in the valleys we'll have to see how much these kids stick to these commitments now that school's starting i understand that i also reject it Can you imagine if a little baby was born and you said, this sure looks like a baby. It looks like a life. We're not sure, though, so let's set it out in the snowdrift. Check on it a month from now and see how it's doing. 
we build institutions for people who do things like that. Why is that so obvious physically, but it's so hard to grasp spiritually? If there's ever a time people need someone to come along, more mature people like you, and not stand off and go, well, let's just see how this pans out. I, I won't ask you to raise your hands, but how many of us in this room trusted Christ as Savior and then nobody followed up with us? Nobody began to disciple us. We were just kind of on our own. And, and we're, we're still, growth has been stunted as a result of that. It happens so often. I was on the way home from school one day. Johnny Euler says to me, why don't you get off at my bus stop tonight? I think I was nine years old. So what's that, third grade, maybe? Nine years old, something? Fourth? Well, yeah, because I was advanced. I was actually a sophomore in college when I was nine. Now, and um, I go, Johnny, why would I want to do that? That Then I would like, have to walk five blocks to my house. I'll just stay on here till we get to my stop. And he goes, no, there's this club I want you to come to. And I go, what kind of club? He says, it's a Bible club. Okay, yeah, I'll be doing that, Johnny. <laughs> Remember, this is back in the time when my dad wanted nothing to do with things. My mom was the, was the real force in our home. And I'd do the Sunday thing and not even whine about it all that much because it made mom happy. But I'm not doing this after school. Johnny goes, you know, they have Kool-Aid and cookies every week. <laughs> we all have our love language. <laughs> and I went, and a woman named Jenny Walsman, who had the gift of flannel graph. Remember what that is? Some of you, you don't even know what that is. You're nodding back there? You're young. I was going to say, go to a museum. You can look at one there. Same guy can be Joseph, Old Testament one week, can be Zacchaeus the next. I never did. They got about five backgrounds. You can tell every story from the Bible from five backgrounds. And I don't even remember the story she shared. I do remember she used a wordless book with no pictures. And the different colors represented our sin. And there's nothing we can do to fix that sin. I knew I was a sinner. My mom, every year, dad would give her Fannie Mae maple cream candies. Not assorted, only maple creams. And he would always say, if we've had a good year, it's the double-decker box, and a not-so-good year, it's the single-level box. We never knew as kids whether that was their marriage or business. We didn't know what determined that. This was a double-decker year. And my mom would share anything she had with anybody except her family, Fannie Mae Maple Creams. Second of nine kids, she knew how to make them last. Sometimes she never ate more than one a day. Sometimes she ate half one. I can still see her teeth marks and the red lipstick on time. It's so gross. <laughs> mom would not share these with anybody because mom was also a sinner in need of a savior, Jesus Christ. If she hid them, what was our job as kids? Find them. Again, I'm nine, so my brother's already off at college. He's 19. My sister's 16. She's, she's in high school. She's lost interest in me. So it's me, seek and destroy. Nobody ever told me how to hide my sin, but I figured out if I eat out of the bottom layer and leave one in each corner and one in the middle, it'll be weeks before my sin is detected. Those little white, what do you call what do you call those? Yeah, I call them doilies, but they're not doilies. But the, you know the things that they sit in. You do not leave those in there. That's like DNA at the scene of a crime, right? You don't even just throw them in the wastebasket because mom will see it. You tuck them in your pocket, you throw them away at school. No, nobody ever told me how to hide my sin. I figured that out pretty well. So when Mrs. Walsman said that we were all sinners, I totally associate that series of events because when I knew the time was running out this is terrible my beagle Heidi was not even allowed in the two inch high shag lime green carpet in our living room that came with a rake <laughs> that's weirder than the flannel graph was 
I took the remaining eight or ten chocolates and scattered them around, and Heidi ate every one of them. And she got the spanking of her life from my mom. See, if I'd shared that Monday night, you wouldn't have even come back to the other sessions. I know you. I was carrying the guilt of that when I heard that Jesus had died in my place on Calvary's cross. I asked Jesus to be my Savior that night. She, turns out she was using child evangelism fellowship materials. It, it's so fun now. I'm actually speaking at their international conference um, coming up the week after November, uh, after Thanksgiving in November. Our Old and New Testament, like you saw in Honduras, we have partnerships with Child Evangelism Fellowship in, um, in the Philippines. They're teaching our stuff like crazy. And they're finding it to be a great foundation before they even share the gospel to give people the big picture of God's story. It's so cool, the hand of God on all of this. Ellen was older, as I told you already. I've paid for that, so I'll say it again for free. She was also a year older when she and her older brother John were visiting their grandma in New York. They went to a Billy Graham crusade in Madison Square Garden. She and her brother got lost before they got saved. By the time they found the front, almost all the counselors had gone home, but they both heard the gospel clearly explained. And her brother John has a ministry called Training Pastors International. He and his wife are in Africa right now. He does really much the same thing we do. And Ellen, very early on, wrote away for follow-up materials and said, Billy Graham went to this place called Wheaton College. Mom, Dad, I'm going to go there someday. And they're like, right, honey, let's, let's get you into junior high first. <laughs> and that's where we met. We are not the right people to be cynical with about childhood conversions. We're just not. What else we have here? Members of different denominations. Woo, let's have some fun. Again, the church we finally settled in that was very much a Bible-believing church. I don't know all your denominational backgrounds, but I'll bet most of you we didn't think could possibly have a shot at heaven. The form of heaven that was described to me was a really small place. When I started teaching for Walk Through the Bible, I'm like, oh, they sent me to this church. And I'm like, I can't believe they're even doing it. I didn't even know they knew what the Bible was. You know what I found out? The labels on churches don't mean a lot right now. God's always got a remnant, and you can be with the church that you're convinced is the strongest spiritually, and I'll guarantee you there's lost people there sitting in a pew on their way to eternity in hell. Supporters of other political parties. Oh, that could get real fun, so we won't camp on that one. You have a blue-letter Bible or a red-letter Bible, you know? <laughs> Proponents of alternative lifestyles. I'm not talking about getting soft on what God says is right and wrong, but this idea that if, if you want to come to Jesus, you need to first clean up your life is not how God works. There's a difference between salvation and sanctification. Salvation, there, there was an instant at nine years old when I passed from death to life. Do I understand that a whole lot more at 65 than I did at nine? I sure hope that I do. Have there been times along the way when I've made some foolish decisions? Yes. But what started that day, I believe my eternal destiny was sealed, but then God begins putting into my life things that he wants to add and taking some things away. It's like, anybody like computer people here? Yeah, a few. It's like this. People think that our Christian faith is like another piece of software to run. It's not. It's an operating system. It's a whole new operating system. And God sometimes goes, um, okay, like uh, gossip 2.0. It's not compatible with your new operating system. Porn 3.0, mm. that's going to make your whole system crash. 
if you run that one very often. That's a process that actually doesn't even get finished by the time we die, then we're glorified, then we're finally like Jesus. It's, it's like fishing. God says, you catch them, I'll clean them. Wow. Now we're meddling. Victims of suicide. I almost edited this one out, except last time I taught this was out at Mount Hermon out in California. Probably a group, maybe, maybe twice this big. It was their family camp. I was with the adults teaching in the, in the mornings. No less than five people came up to me and said, I'm so glad you left that in there. Five people who had immediate, immediate family members who had taken their own lives. Different denominational backgrounds, kind of a cluster of a couple of denominations. But four out of the five said, that the leader, even at the funeral, essentially said that person died with no hope of eternal life because they didn't have a chance to repent because their last act was a sin. I can't find that in Scripture. I'm convinced that neither death nor life, there's no asterisk in that verse. People who have hurt you badly. Ooh. An ex-spouse. Already mentioned an ex-boss. A pastor from a former church. That sister in your woman's Bible study who took what you shared in confidence. And we all know in church confidentiality means you only tell one person at a time. <laughs> Unless you're asking for prayer, then you can tell multiple people. You, you were hurt so deeply by that. There could be others. But that'll give the Holy Spirit enough to, to do some work in our lives with that. Let's go. What do we have? News of this reached the church in Jerusalem. Gentiles saying they're believers in Jesus now. We better check this out. HQ is there. The apostles they're the big shots. Who do they send? Barnabas. Why do you think they picked him? What had he already demonstrated with Saul? He had discernment, somebody just said back there, good word. Yeah, he, he, was, he, he had a big God. And so they send him. Look what happens. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Why did he respond this way? It's, it's right there in the verse. He was a good man. This is part of verbal inflation. He was a good man. It doesn't say great or awesome. I mean, there are some... Players in the NBA, if they make three straight free throws, it was an awesome performance. Really? Is that awesome? I'm kind of one of those who thinks awesome ought to be reserved for God. He was a good man. What do you mean good man? Well, he was full of the Holy Spirit. When he showed up, we feel the same as when the Holy Spirit ministers to us. That's why they insisted on changing his name from Joseph to Barnabas. And he was full of faith. He believed God for the impossible. Barnabas, Barnabas would have been saying, any day Donnie's going to show up at church. I, I, I hope you all are ready for it because I'm telling you, I've been praying about it. It's going to happen couple ideas for you to think about what individual or group do you struggle to believe could ever be true Christ followers that's not a small group conversation that's you and God tonight before you put your head on the pillow follow-up question with that what will you do to align with Barnabas and the Holy Spirit
maybe, just maybe, God wants to change our thinking in some of those areas. He sent me, Donnie, changed my thinking, but that doesn't mean those other things on that list I haven't in the past and in fact continue to struggle with some of those. I, I'm very skeptical when I hear that a political leader or a professional athlete or a movie star has come to know Christ. By the way, I think we do them a great disservice when about three days later we hand them a microphone and say, go talk to 5,000 people. We crank them up high on a pedestal when they don't even have their feet underneath them. And then we're shocked. Or maybe some of us are kind of, I told you so, when they crash. Barnabas. He recognized faith and he nurtured it. I want to see this entire group go home to your churches with a Barnabas mindset. Some of you, especially because of your age, do you realize how non-threatening you are to people? You, you can speak truth and it will be received like if a younger person says it, it will be rejected. I'll tell you something else. Millennials and Gen Z, many of them have written off their parents because their parents opted for comfort, not commitment. And that's part of why they've even questioned, is there anything to this Christianity? They look at your generation. Wow, listen to me. Our generation? <laughs> it hurts, it hurts. They look at, especially those of you who even got like 20 years on me, okay? And they go, they're the real deal. They're the real deal. You have an opportunity that you never had when you were younger to come alongside brand new believers that everybody else is still going, well, I hope they stick to this. But Barnabas but you. Be a good woman, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith. Same thing for guys. Father, oh, Father, forgive us when we limit you. How arrogant of us, for us, uh, of us to tell you what you cannot do what you are incapable of. Oh, maybe you can do it overseas. You're so powerful around the world, but, but here in America, we don't see you work like that. Lord, maybe it's because we're not believing that you can, and so we don't pray in faith. Lord, use this lesson tonight to change, not just the way that we view other people, but even more than that, Lord, to change the way that you, we view you, our awesome God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.